0: Father, I want to thank you for the chance to be here with these folks in this church. I do uh, thank you for the people you've brought to us, that you've brought around us, that you've uh, put us in the neighborhood of, uh, who you've put into our uh, neighborhoods, on our streets, in our lives, the Christians we know, the people who don't know you that we know. And I pray that the mission of this church would be effective, that you would carry the ideas that you've put in our minds and our hearts and that you would reach uh, the world with your gospel with them and that we would do what you've commanded us to do in order to make that happen. And I pray that you would work in our hearts by your spirit and that you would teach us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the express purposes of our church Um, that we have talked about, uh, especially from behind the scenes that we've shared here in this setting several times, is that we want to stand in a very specific position as far as churches go, and we really want our church to sit something on the edge or the fringe uh, of the church, and uh, a word that somebody used to describe how a church could think about themselves in that position was like an outpost. Um, where you're kind of at the edge or the fringe looking out for people. And so if people are kind of getting near the church and they're considering the church, they might see you um, out there on the very edge. And if somebody is leaving the church and kind of disenfranchised from the church, they might bump into you uh, on their way out. And that is uh, exactly what we want to do. And so we're aiming uh, to be orthodox as Christians. And that means that we're not trying to do anything new there is no to be to be this outpost, and in this position, is not to do anything uh, different as far as our faith is concerned. We want to be historically Christian. We want to stand with the apostles and the disciples, and we want to stand with the church uh, throughout the ages. But we also want to walk with people who are doubting, doubting, and moving outward and away. We don't want that historic position to mean that we're just kind of closed doors, unavailable, um, disconnected. So with that in mind, we, I expect people that we walk with in our church, in our situation, to struggle with the theme of tonight's sermon. So I feel like I want to put that on the table. Like this is an expectation that we would need to have this conversation, okay? Absolutely. And we get it. And we understand because that's exactly what we want to be in a culture of people who aren't committed to the church. That is our goal. But on the flip side, as it is with any like fringe movement, uh, which is typically kind of underfunded and less reg- recognized and less established, that's kind of pioneering a, a little different type of church, our church probably needs tonight's message more than anyone. It's critical because of the nature of what we're trying to do. We absolutely need to be steeped in this conversation, committed to this conversation, and listening and changing our lives. So tonight's topic is simply going to church. Okay? That's it. Going to church. like I said, in true John Simon style, I changed the topic, you know, follow Jesus, go to church. And for some time, this has been on my mind because I, I continually experience a scenario, something akin to this, um, that uh, a visitor comes, perhaps that's you tonight, uh, comes into our church. And I know they'd connect with somebody that's a part of our community. I just know it, you know, be it their vocation or something that they're saying. And I look around to find that person I can connect them with, and they're not here. And this happens a lot. This is one scenario of many, but this happens a lot. And we have, I think, a bit of a strange scenario here at our church. If you're behind the scenes with us, you see this digital tally of people that come to Mission Church. And there's 200 of them. And you go, whoa why do you have such a small building? Because there's never 200 people here. And by the way, I've never counted, nor has our church ever counted how many, how many people are here, because that's not the idea. We happen to have this system and names get plugged in there and we see that. But as you, you look around, that's not, we're not looking at 200, right? And that wouldn't bother me at all if it weren't for the fact that we know a long list of people who aren't here right now. Almost all of us, unless you're newer, but a lot of us, especially if you've been around, you could go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just list off people who aren't with us right now. And every Sunday is the same. Every time we worship, it is the same. And so that's what bothers Not the amount of people, but the ratio. I think we probably have about 80 people around. That means 120 people who come to our church aren't here. 120. 60% aren't here. Imagine a sports stadium with 40% of the seats full, right? What would you conclude about the team, right? They stink. Time to move, right? Like, this is what happened to Tucson baseball. Why is there no baseball left? That. That's what happened, you know. The people don't care. They're disengaged. The team stinks. It's something of that nature, right? And hey, maybe the team stinks in our scenario. I'm not ruling that out. But I don't think that's the main issue. But, but whoa, we, we're always running about 40%. Now, to even start down this road for me, and I hope for you, is uncomfortable. Because, you know, there's reasons if there's 120 people, there's 120 reasons. I love the irony of the fact that I'm preaching right now because Nick isn't here, right? That, and I actually think that's really, really helpful because um, I want to be gracious and I want to be compassionate. And look, pink eye is a thing, you know? And, and not only is like Nick not here and that's a bummer and he's not preaching and, you know, I just made all this up. And a few hours ago, I didn't make it up. We've talked about it all week long. But I don't want Nick here if he has pink eye, right? Like, I don't want him to be a hero and come and give us all pink eye. In fact, like, please stay home. And frankly, I don't want anyone here just to say you were here. I don't want anyone here to check the box. I don't want that to be the reason for anything. That's why it's uncomfortable for me. I don't want to guilt trip anybody. Um... Look, we're all aware that things are different than they used to be. We travel for work way more than, than our predecessors in history, I assume. That's a major factor. I mean, I mean they like, traveled really short distances and took them months, so that happened. Some of them, right? But we, we can travel long distance, distance and often do it a lot. A lot of our jobs require the weekends. If you're in law enforcement, if you're in the medical field, there's all sorts of reasons like you you have to do this. Like people need to be safe on the streets. People need their cancer medication on Sundays. At my shop, I had this kind of talk with the guys because I've got a furniture company. I said, "Please, because we don't revoke people's keys on the weekends, right?" I said, please don't come in on the weekends. It's like a weird thing that I've never heard of in my life. Where like people are like coming in, sneaking in to work on the weekends, but it happens. And so I was like, please, here's one scenario I'm gonna give you where you can work on the weekends. And I'm gonna pull it from Jesus, or on Sunday, I should say. Like when you should be at church, because these guys are all churchgoers, it turns out. And I was like, Jesus talked about how if Your donkey fell into a ditch on the Sabbath. Would you pull him out? So if our donkey's in a ditch, if the van rolled over, if everything's falling apart, if like, you know, the whole job is gonna explode and people are gonna renounce the faith, okay, then fine, come in. Until then, please don't. Still working on that. that's a thing. Families live more scattered across the world than ever before, and some of us can actually go see them despite this. This is a beautiful thing. To do that, you might have to leave town a lot, usually when you're not working, usually on the weekend, on a day like today. But those scenarios are not the bulk of what happens in our community. They happen, but it's not the bulk of it. It's only a small slice of the pie. And honestly, those things are as much an opportunity as a problem because if you're actually like traveling, you're gone, you're visiting family, you can go be with God's people somewhere else. You can. It's a cool thing. Michaela and I, on our honeymoon, we, we were in the Bahamas. And we visited a little church. It was super fun, like, really a cool experience. Um, when we would go and visit her family in New Mexico, they would be going to church. And we would enter into their rhythm of going to worship with them, and we would see the diversity of the church in a different church and kind of, you know, try to meet somebody. It was great. When I went to Oregon on my sabbatical, this is in my little book thing I wrote. My family used to go to this old Pentecostal church, and if you know me, I mean, you saw me just now, right? I lean on the wall. I'm, like, silent. So this isn't my jam. But... I tried it, you know, I went and I said hello from Tucson and kind of the family that used to go there and there was a prophecy I was pretty sure wasn't legit. And, <laughs> but I went and I'm glad, I, I'm really glad, really, really glad I went. So not being here doesn't mean you can't worship with God's people. I'd be really encouraged if that's what it was. Like when we're not here, we're somewhere worshiping with God's people. That'd be really, really sweet. I think we'd have this perspective on the church and on worship that would widen and grow, and it'd be good. But like I said, I think that's a small piece of the pie. For the 120 people that aren't here, there are 120 different reasons. We have the kid boom, right? By the way, can you imagine if all the kids were here? It's like a terrifying thought. There's a kid boom. You know, you have a long weekend. You hear your friends aren't coming. You're dealing with some shame. You have social anxiety, and it just takes a lot to get out the door, you're depressed and it takes a lot to put one foot in front of, you, in front of the other. You're going to multiple churches here in town, perhaps. Not to mention us, uh, that, that some of us, and, and we're so glad you're visiting because people visit and I'm so glad that that's happening. So some of us are just, we're on the fence and we're try- maybe you're trying a new church. That's great. And maybe you're trying out this, like, God thing. That's great. I expect you to come and just test the waters. But I think the most difficult discovery for me has been how clearly perceivable our culture of occasional worship is to people. Here. John was sharing with me pre-apprenticeship that when he first visited Mission, there was something to him that was very clear, and that's that attendance was super optional. It was obvious to him. And if he had any roadblock at all, anything came up, long day, scuff my pants, I don't need to go. He said it was obvious. That's how everyone felt. That was a surprise to me. I've caught wind recently, that we're known as a church where you can make friends because we will be inclusive, we'll invite you to things, but we won't demand that you come. There's a side of that that I really like. There's a side of that I really love because it means like when somebody just graces the door one time or we meet them out somewhere, we bring them in. That's, what, that's one of the beautiful things about this community that I love so much But it also means that they're getting the sense immediately that our, like, felt need to be here is pretty low. So, quite a preamble, wasn't it? Very not our church to do that. If you're visiting, seriously, first time I've ever done that. What in the world does this have to do with discipleship? What in the world does this have to do with the Bible? Where do I start? We read from Luke 4, 16 to 17. And this is where this begins for me. It says, And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. There is a lot here, and a lot that can go unnoticed unless you look closely you know, one could say, where, where do you see going to church in the Bible? And I would say it's kind of like, like the question, I've heard this question before. Where's sex, sex before marriage in the Bible? I don't see it in there. There's no book, there's no paragraph about sex before marriage. Does that mean go for it? It could. There's a lot of other things we don't go for just because they're not in there. It doesn't. It's not what it means. There is no paragraph. There's a reason for that. It was so ingrained it was so obvious to the people to whom the books were written because of their high value of belonging, that you belong to your mother, you belong to your father. If, you mar- if you're married, you belong to that person, that it was unthinkable. I mean, this is why like the tradition of fathers giving away the bride came about because there was belonging. It actually mattered that you were part of a family. It, it mattered. We have lost so much of this. And so the idea that some kid could come up to your daughter and make a proposition and go off in the back room was unthinkable because as her father, she is my my daughter, not yours, okay? So ingrained. They didn't need a book on it. They didn't need a paragraph of a book on it. They had this idea of sexual immorality, and it was so wrapped up in there that all they had to say was just the word. There should be no sexual immorality even named among you. Boom! Clear. It's like that with going to church. This is especially clear in Luke's biography of Jesus, and it was purposeful. Luke shows Mary and Joseph. At the beginning, what is he? He shows all these, their customs. They're circumcising Jesus. This is a really huge piece of their belief about the covenant community of God's people, that that God had put his mark on his children, so they brought him to be circumcised. They presented him, he was their firstborn, they presented him with an offering to say that he was holy to the Lord. They were very poor, we learn from their offering, so this wasn't because they just had so much money to give to the temple. They brought the little bit that they had, and they gave it. They're traveling, we see in the book of Luke, with Jesus to the Passover in Jerusalem, which if you're poor, isn't the easiest thing to do, right? And it says, as was their custom, because the law and the scriptures said that you needed to come to the temple for the day of atonement and the Passover and all these things. And then in Luke 4, Jesus is going to the synagogue in his, in his hometown where he was raised, And there were these smaller gatherings called synagogues where the people went and gathered because Israel had been dispersed. And it says it was his custom to go to the synagogue. The early church was directly patterned after the synagogue. The disciples went there weekly to hear the word. We read about this in the book of Acts. We read about this later on that even as Christians, they didn't just go, hey, cool, we're done with synagogue. They actually did Lord's Day and synagogue. They did it all, and they would go there to hear the word of God preached and taught and interpreted and read. They would pray, and they would sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together, and we see Jesus in this scripture in Luke 4 being handed the scroll of Isaiah and given the place of leadership where he can read it and interpret it, which doesn't go super well for him because he says, He's fulfilling it. But the fact that they handed him that scroll is a big deal because a man could apprentice as a priest in his 20s, but being ordained as a priest or set aside to interpret the word and pray on behalf of others could begin once you were 30. You had to be 30. If you read just above this in Luke 3, guess how old Jesus just turned? 30. And he was baptized. And in his baptism, you know, in which John said, this man is too righteous for me. I can't even, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. But Jesus said, do this to fulfill all righteousness. And John baptizes him. And, and the voice of God, it says, speaks. This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And people observed something. It was like like if a dove flew out of the sky and landed on someone and never left. And they said that was the spirit of God that came upon him and it never left. This was an ordination. This was a big moment. This was he's old enough to be handed the scroll which is ratified, right, when he goes to his synagogue and a man hands him the scroll. But God spoke for Jesus. Now, the fact that it was ratified is interesting because it means Jesus had to wait. He'd gone through the process in his synagogue that somebody would go through if they wanted to do ministry. He went every week. It was his custom, it said, as did his disciples who are now following him. They came with him. It became their custom." It was the regular thing that they did. And now this day, Jesus says, this is going to be fulfilled. This is being fulfilled right now. And, and now he's saying, I'm more than just an average priest. I'm more than just an average minister. And his resurrection and ascension demand we take that seriously. But my point tonight is to show that Jesus meant And means now, Jesus' life following Jesus meant then and means now weekly committed worship, submission, and sending out by God's people. He discipled others by being fueled by going to the synagogue, and this is the Son of God. He he partook every week of the reading of the word and the ministry of people. And his disciples learned to practice what we now call church, which just means the gathering. And they learned this and passed this down to us by following Jesus. I want to give you three reasons why we need church, why it's really critical to Jesus. Jesus discipled this way because church is crucial to being God's people. Look, the Sabbath, this idea of like a weekly time where you come before the Lord, is not just a church thing. And it's definitely not just an Old Testament thing. It's definitely not just a Ten Commandments thing. If you want to go up on the hierarchy of really important stuff, usually you get to Ten Commandments like, yeah, kill, definitely in. Don't do that. Can't commit adultery, like it's on the Ten list. This goes beyond that. It is what we call a creation ordinance. There are a few things that were established at the creation of the world and of humanity, marriage, work, and a Sabbath to the Lord. Those three things. Which means it is key to being human, not just a Christian. James K.A. Smith calls us worshiping animals, people. And what he means by that We were made to worship, and every single one of us is worshiping all the time. You worship what is most valuable to you. You see it in every single one of your daily practices. You could analyze them and see what you worship really. And being human is done best when we recognize and worship the one from whom we receive life and breath and everything, which is our God. And when we don't set our eyes on God and prioritize him, we worship idols, and we lose the anchor of our souls. And we slip into some of the very things that keep us from church, interestingly enough. It's kind of a snowball effect because an unanchored soul ceases to rest in him and maintain its hope. Depression and anxiety only heighten the, from the unanchored soul. Workaholics lose their meaning and the direction of their work. So interestingly, if you think you need to work so much more that you don't have time to worship God, the direction and meaning of your work is undercut, and it just never ends. Social butterflies lose the relationship that can satisfy them. So if your weekend was so full of social events, you don't have time to come before him and feast on him and see him for who he is You will never be satisfied and you will need to fill the next weekend and the next one to prove yourself. It will never end. Therefore, a non-worshiping people by nature drift from being God's people. God's people are distinct because of their custom of worshiping him. The less you worship, the less you are one of his people inwardly. You are less formed. You are less tied to him. Not that his love is less for you, but you are less connected. So crucial to the ministry of Jesus and following Jesus was the custom of hearing the word, of worshiping, of recognizing God as Father and Creator. Second, Jesus discipled us by going to church himself and taking all of his disciples to church because he believed in being in submission. Ephesians 5:15 to 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as, as wise, making the best use of the time. What is the best use of your time? Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In this, I see two very different ways you could spend a day off. Number one. And there are a million ways you could make poor use of the time. You can make poor use of your time. There are a million ways. You can mostly eat, drink, and be merry. And this says that, that can, can just lead to foolishness. Now, you might say, Andy, last week you preached on going to the party, right, with Jesus. Yes, but that's fueled by something. If you don't have your fuel, don't go. Or... You can see that you have your spiritual priorities in order because the days are evil. There's a struggle going on. Everywhere I go, I spend a lot of time outside of the church, and everyone I talk to thinks there's a struggle going on. They think there's a battle out there. They think things are falling apart. If there was ever a time to have spiritual priorities, it's now. If you hold spiritual priorities at the top of the list, then what do you do? You address one another, it says. You speak into each other's lives. You need to be with each other. You sing together through, you sing deep spiritual truths that get stuck in your head. Why do we sing? Music gets stuck in our heads. Why do we need things stuck in our heads? Because we're going out into our work and our family and into politics and into things that are extremely depressing. We need things stuck in our heads that anchor us in the truth and it says, you submit to one another like Jesus Christ did and in reverence for him. And when I, when I hear submit, I assume um, you, th- you think a similar thing. I think about pecking order and who's in charge, right? That's what I think of when I hear submit. But is that right? Is that what Paul was saying? Is that what refer- reverence for Christ means? Luke told us what Jesus thought about submission in Luke 22. So further down, if you think about Luke telling us all these things about Jesus' ministry, all the customs he had, well, here's Luke 22. It says, a, dis- a dispute arose among the disciples as to which one of them would be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the Kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater one who reclines at table or one who serves. It is not the one that reclines, but I am among you as the one who serves. Following Jesus means serving one another, submitting to one another, which means showing up ready to serve others. And these two ideas, show up and serve, should radically change the way we view going to church. What if, just imagine, some of our mission here at Mission works, What if some people walk in the door who are on the verge of leaving the church or they walk in the door who are like, I'm going to test the waters for the first time. What if they walk in the door? What if, for that matter, since we're discussing discipleship as a whole, one of us who's committed is struggling and there's shame and burden and guilt and apathy, but they decide to crawl out of bed and show up. Who is there to serve them? Are you here? What can you do about that? Step one, be here. And what often keeps us from showing up? Showing up isn't easy. It takes our time. It can be mentally and emotionally burdensome. So we avoid it. We stay home. It's it's easier. But that presupposes something that church is supposed to be easy That it's supposed to be this relaxing thing that takes us to some, you know, ethereal plane of good vibes and goosebumps during the music. I've heard this this week, that that's how church could feel. It's never meant to have been that. This is where we come to bow before our creator and serve one another. Maybe we've just pitched church all wrong. And that requires a commitment to ministry and to be vulnerable enough to receive ministry, to serve and to be served. Now, those words are embedded. If you've been around here, if you've done any marriage work or pre-marriage work, and I know not everyone's in that boat, but if you have, you've heard those kind of things, right? If you want a good marriage, you have to be committed to minister. You have to make the decision that when it's hard and I don't feel like it, I mean, think about it. If you had a long weekend, you were just really exhausted and you got home and your husband's over here and you're like, no, no, I don't think so. And you go to the bedroom and close the door, lay down and go, that would have been hard. How's that going to work for you? No, like... We all know in any real, deep, meaningful, good relationship, the commitment to minister goes beyond what we feel like doing. And it brings about healing and harmony through actually engaging, serving on the day you don't feel like it, and receiving it when you have all your guard up. That's what you have to do to have a good relationship. And most of us who become Christians want to join a good church. We want to be a part of a good church. That's how you make one. You're committed to minister. You're committed to show up and serve. It's like a good marriage. The work pays off. The church becomes more vibrant. The more people who show up on the day they don't feel like it and say, I'm here. And this is what I'm struggling with. So if anybody's got anything to say to me, I'm here. And here's what I have to offer if anybody needs anything, because I am here. Crucial to discipleship is that we live in submission to one another, which means we're there. We show up and we serve and we encourage each other. We address one another. If you've ever thought, I wish our church was more anything, more refreshing, more involved, I want to challenge you to be the change. Show up. Come. Choose to serve, and you will experience Jesus, just like in a good relationship where you show up on the tired moment, and when you're done, and when you don't want to, and you realize this was better, it's good I showed up, you will experience that too. Finally, Jesus discipled through these customs to teach us about being on mission. You see, Jesus got ordained. After a lifetime of living out his custom, he was in the synagogue, he was shaped by the word, he showed himself faithful. And I hear a lot That younger people on the fringe, and I hear this from friends of mine, they don't want to play church. They don't want to just show up at church. They don't want to just go through the the motions, right? They want to be the church, and that's great. And most of that I relate to, but hear me on this. You are not being the church if you aren't around much, You aren't being shaped much if you're not being around much. You're neglecting the weekly mission activity where we come in and we care for one another and we disciple one another and we're ready for the moment that somebody cracks the threshold. You're not a part of that. And if I'm the leader and somebody comes to me and says, I want to be on mission, and I go, You're never here. I'm not sending you for good reason. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we'll barely scrape our missionary potential if we continue to have 60% of us gone every Sunday because this time is crucial to our mission. It's critical to discipleship, being with one another, unpacking the sermon together afterwards, making plans of what we're going to do to serve and to take care of one another can happen here. This is where it should happen. This is where we all get in a room. And we're challenged and we're brought to Christ. For that matter, I always get the sense, because of the type of conversations I have after church, and I think Nick would say the same thing, that the people who come here need this church and need ministry. And there's only one Andy and Nick. There's two of us. One of each. But there's a lot more ministry to do. And for our Christians here who want your life to count, we'd love to lean on you to have those conversations. But a lot of newer people, and we've heard this recently, especially if you're only here once a month, don't know who you are. We've heard this recently. Why don't you go talk to them? They would get it. I, have no, I don't know who that is. Regularity leads to familiarity. Familiarity can lead to recognition and trust, Recognition and trust in a church lead to discipleship. And our mission is to meet people on the fringe. But then we need those who are following Jesus to be here, to show up. You have to be here to help us achieve our mission. Look, we're not going to stop. We feel called to this. The question is just how effective can we be if we aren't here? our level of effectiveness drops significantly. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Here's why this matters to me. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I really, really don't. But here's the thing. Every time one of you is gone, I know some of you pretty well. I know your gifts. I know your personality. I know who you are. When you're not here, this church is missing you. Your gift, your strength, the beautiful thing, the cool thing, the funny thing you bring to the table. When you're here, we don't have it and we are poorer for it. So please, unless you have pink eye or you're in Nova Scotia for some reason, come to church. (laughs) To renounce your idols, resist the drift, the drift away from being a part of God's people. Come for that. Come to worship him. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're made for. Come to practice submission by which we love one another and we put our lives out for one another, especially on the day we don't feel like it, and to achieve our mission and God's mission of loving our neighbor and reaching the world with the message of Jesus, who we follow because he showed up. And he didn't just, just, he didn't just show up into the world. He showed up as an every week synagogue, word hearing, praying, committed disciple of his father and that's how he discipled us. That's the ministry we carry forward. We carry forward, forward nothing if we don't show up. In Nick's style, we're gonna do confession now. I wanna keep I wanna I wanna keep Ephesians 5, 15 to 21 before our eyes where we are called to a mission of serving one another, okay? We're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is our calling. And then in Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, I think we get an idea of of submission. In, In Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, and I'll just kind of summarize it here. The writer of Hebrews just told us about all the ways that Jesus fulfilled what he said he was gonna do in Luke 4 how he became a perfect high priest, how he did everything perfectly, how he came into God's temple and did incredible things, meaning he brought his life, not just the life of some animal. He brought his life before God. He stood before God and he was judged faithful and true and perfect and that his death on the cross wasn't just an accidental political oops. It was him offering himself to the father saying, I will be the atonement for their sins so that they don't have to travel and sojourn to Jerusalem anymore. They can look to me. And then the writer of Hebrews says, all of that happened, but do not neglect the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Just because Jesus did such a conclusive thing, we should gather more, not less. Elsewhere in Hebrews, it talks about what happens in our hearts when we see the grace of God and how much Jesus did in the temple and how much he offered us, and we go, sweet, I don't have to do anything. The writer of Hebrews says that's like crucifying Jesus again and subjecting him to public humiliation. Because it means his grace just gets me out of work. His grace should fuel you to worship. It should fuel us to mission. It should make us say there's nowhere I'd rather be than breaking bread and speaking of him and praying to my Savior, my priest, and my king.